0: it is a Friday drive where I got Christian McCaffrey to take a shot at the North Carolina Tar Heels earlier today. You'll hear that in just a few minutes because the Panthers aren't the big talk around here today. No, it's the Charlotte Hornets catching a break by being awarded the third pick in the draft last night. And I really think this offseason is ripe for the Hornets to make a big splash. The draft is just one component of it, though. Don't forget. Charlotte is finally shedding the bad Marvin, MKG, and Bismack-Biombo contracts. Robert, if you just wanted to guess, I know you follow basketball very closely. Robert Walsh, the producer of this show. Marvin, MKG, Bismack, their contracts combined, how much do you think they were worth on the books this year?
1: Probably about $35 million.
0: $45 million for those three players. Michael Kid, Gilchrist, Marvin Williams, and Bismack-Biombo. They're off the books. Here's how big of an impact that is. Charlotte was in the bottom third of the league in salary cap space this year. They are set to be sixth in salary cap space next season. But you might be thinking, Josh, I haven't heard any buzz about free agents this offseason, unlike the tremendous free agency splashes we saw a year ago and are set to go down not this offseason, but potentially in 2021, You would be exactly right about that. However, Charlotte's not the franchise that lands the big-ticket free agents. So you got to think a little differently. I remember talking to coaches at East Carolina, even a few at App, who said, we can't recruit the same kids as the ACC schools generally. So we got to get a little creative. So oftentimes when we go to a football practice to watch a kid, if we see ACC schools there, we might uh, see what's going on at the track practice. Try to pull a kid from there and see if they can, you know, they can run at corner or wide receiver. Uh, many coaches, many scouts, they have stories like that where you have to try and bridge the gap between the smaller franchise franchises and the bigger franchises, the smaller schools versus the bigger schools. You can't. One of my favorite movies is Moneyball. The big, the crux of Moneyball was. The Oakland A's spend about $40 million a year while the New York Yankees spend between 150 and $200 million. We can't try to think like the Yankees. We got to think differently. And that's why Billy Bean and the A's had success with the Moneyball Saber Metrics model nearly 20 years ago. The Charlotte Hornets, while other teams aren't investing into this offseason, maybe there's a few free agents that could pick off. It's not a terrible class of free agents. There's no franchise-altering stars in here. But Fred VanVleet, pretty darn good. Toronto's going to want to keep him around. So if you can't get that guy, Hassan Whiteside, who's from Gastonia, uh, that's not a bad pickup. Charlotte never really had, in the last five years, somebody who can man the post, block some shots, and give you some length. Whiteside can do that. Jeremy Grant, one of my favorite ACC basketball players to watch in the last decade. Led Notre Dame in 2015. I think that tournament was in Greensboro. To an ACC tournament title against North Carolina. A tremendous player. Loved what he was doing with uh, Oklahoma City. Myers Leonard. He's available this offseason. Guys, I think would make some sense for Charlotte. If they could pick up a starter or two on the free agency route, I think that would be a big deal. Then you get to the draft. Where the Hornets struck it big, first time in 20 years that they are placed higher than the most likely position going into the lottery, and more importantly than that, they have the management and a coach that I trust. I can't think of a point in Charlotte Hornets history where Charlotte had both of those things working their way. A coach that I liked and a general manager that I liked. Usually, it was one or the other. I, like Steve Clifford, wasn't a big fan of Rich Cho, and so on and so forth. I trust Mitch Kupchak. He drafted Miles Bridges and Devontae Graham in his first draft. Pretty damn good. Last year, P.J. Washington, really strong pick. He had a good rookie season. So he's putting together these puzzle pieces, a really neat, interesting, hardworking core, a nucleus, For James Borrego to coach, a team that last year at this time, after losing Kimball Walker, nobody thought would win 20 games, that was set to be the number one pick in the lottery. And they won more than 20 games, and they still had a dozen to go before things got halted. They overachieved. They exceeded expectations, and they're still picking in the top three. It's a great spot to be in. And there are a ton of good players that could help them. LaMelo Ball, James Wiseman, Anthony Edwards. They're in a really good spot to get a significant contributor this year. Then the news earlier this week that I think is a massive deal. Charlotte and the other seven teams that didn't get invited to the bubble will have a chance to practice to work out together in September. You might not think that's a huge deal, but... Adam Silver was talking to Rachel Nichols yesterday before the lottery began, and the most important question she asked, how are you feeling about the December 1st start date? And Silver said, eh, there's a chance we might try to push it back even further. If they were to do that, Charlotte's last basketball game was in the middle of March. You'd be talking about having a young basketball team play their next competitive game close to a year after their previous one. That would set back this team, according to Mitch Kupchak last night, uh, back a year, maybe even more than that. But just having these workouts, a chance to get together, that's a really big deal. Do some coaching. See where the conditioning's at. A really big deal for Charlotte to try and get things back on the tracks, to continue the progression for these younger players that, was, that were really making strides A year ago. Okay, let's get to this McCaffrey sound. So I wanted to get McCaffrey's thoughts on Joe Brady now that they've been on the field together. But before I got to that with him, and even the Hornets as well, I noticed he had a jacket that said UNC on it. Now, I lived in Colorado for a little while, and I even have a funny story regarding that. I remember I didn't know a soul when I moved to Colorado aside from the boss that I was getting set to work for in a town of 2,400 people. So I was just looking to connect with someone, Robert. In the airport, I heard a discussion happening as I was walking off of the plane to start my new life in Colorado. Two people were talking, and they were talking about a game. Sports is always a great connector for me, and the game they were talking about involved UNC. So I, I, I interjected and said, hey, I'm from North Carolina. And they looked at me with a stupefied look on their face, one of the guys, and said, we're talking about the University of Northern Colorado here. <laughs> that was my chance to connect. I heard UNC. And in Colorado, UNC doesn't mean Tar Heels. It means the University of Northern Colorado. So I knew of the jacket Christian McCaffrey was wearing during the press conference, his dad coaching up there as you're about to hear, and he's a Colorado guy, grew up in the suburbs of Denver. But what I didn't expect to hear is the jab that followed my question. Here's how things sounded with me and Christian McCaffrey earlier today. First off, when you hear UNC, do you think Northern Colorado or Tar Heels? Yeah, well, first
2: uh, you know, when I hear UNC, I think Bears. Obviously, I got the hoodie on. Go Bears. Uh, You know, obviously, my dad's a coach there now. I got my older brother's coaching there, too. and uh, My older brother went to Duke. I have a big Duke family lineage. I try, try to take the Tar Heel out of the picture as much as possible.
0: Secondly... (laughs) <laughs> now that you have a chance to work on the field with Joe Brady, um, what's he? How hands-on is he on the field versus what you guys had in the summer during the Zoom calls? Coach Brady's been great. Uh, I think I think his his detailed demeanor, uh,
2: all down to business, and and you know obviously his knowledge of the game is exceptional. So for me, it's just been fun to be able to pick his brain, to be able to learn, and continue to get better every day.
0: One more thing, Christian. Um, just wondering, do you follow basketball at all? And what, what your reaction was, if any, to the Hornets getting a top three pick last night? I'm excited.
2: I think the whole city of Charlotte was excited. Um, you know, I, I personally am a basketball fan, and anytime you hear the news that you've got to add some more talent to the, to the roster, it'll be fun. So I'm excited to catch a few games this year, and I can't wait for that third pick. Thanks, Christian. Go Bears. Go Bears.
0: <laughs> Two funny things there. You heard th- Robert is a stickler on how things sound. So I could see how annoyed he was just on Robert's face when there was that little cackling when I was asking the last question about the Hornets. Would you like to know what that cackling was, Robert? I think I've heard that before. Was that a rapper? A it subway was. Rapper? I realized that in the shot while I was talking to Christian on Zoom was a subway rapper. Not great.
1: He's not new to sponsorships. I'm sure he might have thought maybe you're a sponsored sports radio host. That's right.
0: Eat fresh. That was quite a jab, though. I want to get the Tar Heel stuff out of here. Christian not even being diplomatic about it. His brother, I think it's Dylan? Dylan McCaffrey who played at Duke? The McCaffrey brothers. Certainly involved there. But he had the UNC jacket, which... If you're going to take anything away from today's show, know that in Colorado, there is another UNC. They hear UNC, they think the University of Northern Colorado, not Carolina Blue and the Tar Heels. We're going to be joined by Chip Patterson of CBS Sports in a little over 15 minutes, but up next, the outpouring of love continues for Ron Rivera today after his cancer diagnosis last night, and Cole Anthony's... Destination seems pretty obvious to me. Keep it here on a Friday
1: drive. Here's your mic check. Check mic check. check. Check check check. You're on the drive with Josh
0: Graham. We really lean on this guy for his expertise on all things college sports. Tip Patterson. CBS Sports, kind enough to spend the time. Shoot him a follow on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. But before we get to the college-related matters, and there are a number of newsworthy things to get to in regards to college football, you have been a Charlotte basketball fan through thick and thin. I mean, hardcore Charlotte Bobcats fan before the name came back, before the buzz was brought back nearly a decade ago. So before we get to college, I just want to know, how excited were you last night, considering the bad history of this basketball franchise, to see the Hornets get the number three pick, to see that card revealed and the Hornets logo as Charlotte improved its draft odds for the first time since returning in
3: 2004? So uh so many years of having my heart broken on draft lottery night, I didn't even watch. I didn't even want to look. I have been seasoned. I have been programmed for the draft lottery to equal disappointment, and I don't want to drag myself through that again. So uh, I found out, and I was pleasantly surprised, and all of a sudden I found myself in a position that previously – I had not been uh, after a draft lottery, which is really getting excited about the mock draft. You know, like, I was just so uh, programmed in my brain. I mean, we were talking about a season for the Charlotte Hornets where you're so excited about Devontae Graham. You're so excited about Miles Bridges. Like, you're seeing uh, the young baby buzz, great young core coming together, and, you know, you get tickled with a little bit of, you know, where is this team going to fall? Are they even going to make it in the playoffs? Of course, they don't even end up getting invited to the bubble, but yet because of some of the losing that was done, they finish in like that ninth or tenth spot by not even playing a game. So like that's that's kind of what we've been dealing with, at least in terms of lottery odds, right? A team that just falls short of the playoffs, so you don't have great odds. And then even in those years uh, that you do, like the 2012 draft lottery, when you do have great odds, you know, you end up getting Michael Kidd Gilchrist instead of Anthony Davis. Yeah. So to, to have things improve, now all of a sudden I'm doing what so many uh, Charlotte Hornets fans are doing, which is you're trying to think whether you would rather have James Wiseman or Obi Toppin, and if you can stomach Anthony Edwards, a player who's still so young with a very, very high ceiling, who was somewhat underwhelming and less than uh, efficient, during his one season with the Georgia Bulldogs. But still, when you just think about the the ceiling for any of those players, it, it is something that's encouraging because you throw them in with the baby buzz and that makes for an exciting 2020-2021 uh, season.
0: Also, you have no reason not to trust the head of the Brain Trust with the Charlotte Hornets now, Mitch Kupchak, as somebody who has picked Devontae Graham, taken – Miles Bridges, uh, we saw what P.J. Washington was able to do last year. So he's got the resume, and he's already showing early on he kind of knows what he's doing in the evaluation process. But you're noting some of the players there, Chip. Chip Patterson from CBS Sports with us here. Who do you know you want? What's the slam dunk pick for you? And who's the guy that you would be fuming to see Charlotte pick at
1: number three?
3: I'm out on Wiseman. I I think that that would be the one that uh would give me some pause, and I don't even have like a, a firm feel on that. That is just a gut, fan-centric feel. As a fan, I have a right to have irrational beliefs, and that is not a professional belief. That is an irrational fan belief. I lean more Obi Toppin than I lean James Wiseman, and I think Obi Toppin is absolutely tremendous. Now, James Wiseman's considered somewhat of a better prospect. The Anthony Edwards one is interesting just because uh, again, hes I think he's going to be 20 years old uh, in, like, next August. I mean, he's a young – he was even young uh, for, to be a college freshman. So you still got a lot of time for development there, and that's where I think a lot of people are excited about what he could become with some of his range, with some of his athleticism, and really having the skill set of a guard even at, you know, like – uh, you know, small forward type size, but not really an elite three-point shooter. And, you know, that's going to bring about some kind of concern or consternation. So I'm I'm leaning a little bit more in the Anthony Edwards, Obi Toppin realm than I am in the James Wiseman realm. And uh, I'm assuming that uh, LaMelo Ball is already going to be taken off the board by the time the Hornets come up at three.
0: Chip Patterson with us here. So let's talk about the state of college football right now. Even though I know the Hornets, talking about the Hornets is probably a lot more fun to do on a Friday than talking about where college sports is at amid trying to handle a pandemic. But last week, many people called it arguably the craziest week in the history of college sports when you have the Big Ten and the Pac-12 pulling the plug on football for the fall, postponing to the spring, the ACC, Big 12, and um, the SEC are full speed ahead for this fall. Then you see the North Carolina and NC State instances where they're all going to go online except for the athletes who are still on campus. They'll still be taking their classes online, but all the other students are being sent home. It seems other schools are starting to take that path as well. So just generally, Chip, how much better or worse do you feel about the prospect of a college football season right now at the end of this week versus where you were a week ago?
3: Geez, that was just one week ago. Crazy, right? It feels like a month. I mean, it, yeah, last last week was no no one should be crying for uh, sports writers. No, no one should be like like we. There is very very real loss. There are like very very uh, true sadness that is being experienced by so many. But I will tell you that from my own personal experience, last week felt like a month. I mean, it was just a roller coaster of trying to you know, follow the pieces, trying to find out as much information as possible. The things that I'm starting to believe now is that the conferences that are continuing on a path to try and play college football, particularly the power conferences, the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12, they seem to be uh, very, very focused on the accumulation of resources that it's going to take And that is from testing materials, from the staffing it's going to require to test frequently, to even the continued monitoring of any athletes that test positive to address some of these concerns of myocarditis or heart condition complications that might come from a diagnosis and even a full recovery from COVID-19. I mean, we're talking Big 12 is working on getting their hands on EKG machines. I mean, this is uh, taking the threat very seriously, not just of the virus itself, but of even the complications that can come with it. And it's, um, you know, on, on one hand, I guess that it is uh, impressive, uh, or I guess it is, uh, you know, astonishing that we're at this place. Impressive is not really a good word, but it's like, wow, this is going to take a lot of money. This is going to take a lot of effort this is going to take a lot of resources to be able to have this kind of testing, to be able to have this kind of monitoring, to be able to have these kinds of situations that are going to set up the potential to even get out there and play major college football. So it, the conferences that are moving forward, I wouldn't say full speed ahead. I say, I think that they are moving ahead, uh, hoping that they have all the tools needed to be able to keep everyone as safe as possible. Because what we are seeing is that local health officials are ultimately going to be the ones that make these decisions. And if local health officials put in place restrictions because of outbreaks that do not permit gatherings that would even allow for college football to be played, then games are going to get canceled. And enough games get canceled, then all of a sudden schools are going to have to really take some hard decisions about you know what's going on with the season. I was um, very I was very appreciative that the Pac-12 released so much of the information that drove their decision making process. And one of the things that stood out to me was that when they were supposed to start training camp, they had about a third or a fourth of their conference that because of what was going on in Arizona in the state of California, uh, in Oregon, in Washington, just sort of throughout the footprint, they, don't, they had like a third or fourth of their conference that wasn't even going to be able to gather in groups big enough to hold proper training camp. They just did not have the uh, approval of local health officials to do normal college football stuff. So it's going to really ride a lot on what's happening in these states, what's happening in these towns, and in particular these counties and these campus communities, because if there are flare-ups, if there are outbre- outbreaks, and if there are spikes, then there are going to be rulings from local health officials that are going to be out of the hands of athletic directors and out of the hands of university presidents. And that's where I think we're going from right now. You know, it's, it's up to the virus, but it's also up to everybody that's living in these counties that have college football programs because that's what led the Pac-12 to not move forward. They didn't feel comfortable that they were going to get reliable rapid testing and the right materials to do so, and they did not feel comfortable that they had the approval of the local health officials to even move forward with any kind of preparation for the season. And look, you know, we're starting to see it with students coming back. That's leading to more spikes and changes in some of the numbers across the county and across the state, and that is really what's going to drive whether or not we are able to how much of a college football season we are able to complete. I went back and I looked in the 1918 flu pandemic college football season. Teams went like 5-1, and 6-0, and zero, and like three teams declared a national champion. And so I would not be surprised if we do have some games get canceled from that 10-game ACC season. But if we're able to get through in a safe and healthy manner and play some college football, then the players – who want to be a part of a season, then they will have at least gotten that.
0: Shoot him a follow on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson for the college sports expertise and golf expertise, but also because he's a massive Charlotte Hornets fan, and he's he's been through a lot. So shoot him a follow there. It's good to hear your voice, Chip. Hope we can catch up sometime soon.
3: All right, sounds good. Y'all be well.
0: You got it. That's Chip Patterson, CBS Sports, on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. Coming up. Why I think the pool of prospects that Mitch Cupcheck should be considering at number three is only five names long. This is a Friday drive.
1: Make some noise, make some noise. let's go
2: You're on the drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad.
0: It's time for our weekly top 10 list. Some of you enjoy the wordplay, others do not. Lord knows how many of these we've done over the last four years, Robert. Two here in the triad, you and I were together for a little while in eastern North Carolina. This has always been a staple of what we do, just like take it to the house at the end of our shows. Top ten list every single week in honor of the Hornets picking number three in the draft getting some good fortune, I've got my top 10 insects. Top 10 insects, if you have guess, guesses for what might be on the list, on Twitter, at Sports Hub Triad, you can send in those guesses there. Let's go ahead and get to the list. Do you have any guesses for what might make it?
1: Uh, yeah, I got a few.
0: All right. Any idea how high up they might be, the ones you have written down?
1: No idea. My, We never sync up on where something should be or shouldn't be. I'm just along for the ride. All right, top ten
0: insects. Number ten, my number ten insect, Cole Anthony. Yummy, yummy, yummy. I got bugs in my tummy, and I feel like munching you. What? What was that? Uh... Timon from Lion King Like this was in The Lion King? I think Lion King 2 I believe. I didn't know There was a sequel. Can I hear that again?
3: Yummy, yummy, yummy I got bugs in my tummy and I feel Like
0: munching you Okay, I can hear the voice now It sounds more like Timon I didn't expect that We're off to a rockin' start Number 9 By Number 9 Insect Bull Bull
1: Weevil.
2: Bugs are disgusting and I don't like them. Do something.
1: Is that that the voice if you're gonna guess voices?
0: Wait a minute. Can I hear it again?
2: Bugs are disgusting and I don't like them. Do something.
0: It has to be a cartoon, right? Correct. Um Is that from Tangled? It's from Pokemon.
1: Oh. That's Misty. She hates bugs.
0: I didn't know that. I used to play the video games. I remember sitting in the dentist's office with like the oldest, like, portable Nintendo there is and playing Pokemon sitting there before I got like uh, surgery on my mouth. That's still etched in my brain. Moving on, number eight. (laughs) <laughs> Quickly moving away from surgery as a child to number 8 on the top 10 list, top 10 insects. A flea flicker? My army of insects just keeps getting bigger. I'm going to wipe out
2: all your
1: monsters in one bug blitzkrieg. <laughs> what is nerdy stuff is that? Do you still watch a bunch of cartoons? Uh not really, it depends. Maybe some like adult swim esque cartoons, but You not- watch? You you have more
0: knowledge on cartoons than anybody else I know. Like, legitimately, you do. That's I, not even a not. <laughs> it's just a fact. You know more about cartoons than anybody else I know.
1: I watched a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon as a kid. Do you still
0: have, like, some of those cards?
1: Uh, they're at my mom somewhere. Or the
0: thing that you put on your arm?
1: I never had a dual disc, no. But I did have uh, a bunch of cards. Such a nerd.
0: Number seven. Top ten insects. Michelle Beadle hey i'm a compassionate insect
1: i love you just guessing what these things are from
0: i'm assuming that's the movie bugs a bug's life there you go yeah yeah grasshopper comes in that's a great movie number six my number six insect the greensboro grasshoppers Bigger bugs! We can find bigger bugs to come here and fight! You got a lot of spunk, kid, but no
1: one's gonna help a bunch of ants. I'm gonna go home and watch the movie tonight. Also, is Bugs Life. I looked through so many clips to figure out. There's, there might be like two more in here from Bugs Life. Who knows?
0: I don't remember anything about the movie, but I do remember like a really fat caterpillar. He might make an appearance. Wow! Number five! My number five insect, The Gnats. Good heavens, he's committed pesticide.
1: Guess that movie. <laughs> That's a movie I thought it was Bubbles. It was not Bubbles. That's James and the Giant Peach. Oh, uh, I
0: don't remember any of this, man.
1: You don't remember James and the Giant Peach? Nope. Dude, you gotta go watch that.
0: Read the book. I don't think I ever watched the movie.
1: Number. Th- where are we at? Number four.
0: My number four insect, Steve Kermite. Taking care of your pest problem.
1: Pest problem. Yeah, you got a hell
0: of an infestation. Steve Kermite. Not Getting bad. pretty high up on this list. Number three. My number three. I almost said termite insect. My number three insect. B dot.
1: <laughs> Someday I will be a beautiful butterfly. And then everything will be better.
0: Yeah, there's the caterpillar.
1: His name's Heinrich. He has a name.
0: My apologies, Heinrich. He's it's been, amazing
1: that you remember all this. He's been through a lot, dude. Everybody making fun of his weight. He's supposed to be a bumblebee in the circus, and he's just this big, fat caterpillar. Camera relate.
0: Number two. My number two insect. The human centipede rose.
1: Well, I like the intricate weave of this
2: carpet? Or the perfect cylindrical quality of this roach turd?
0: The human centipede rose. Very gross. I want you... That is what, that's the image I want you to take
1: away what, on this Pete Friday Rose? afternoon. Is he in the front, back, or middle? The human sent to Pete Rose. I feel like he would be in the middle because uh, he has to eat a lot of baseball's excrement, but he also pumps out a bunch. So I feel like Pete Rose would be in the middle.
0: There is a description of Pete Rose that I can't get out of my head. Somebody once said Pete Rose looks like I drew a face on my thumb. That image is another one I can't get out of my head. But that's number two. Number one on my list, top 10 insects, Randy Mosquito.
2: Quieting down as we near that midnight hour, excuse me. That was a bug that
1: just flew in my mouth. That's one of my favorite types of bloopers is news bloopers.
0: Oh, how about the one where the guy is just cursing? Yeah, I would have put that in the country.
1: Too many beeps. A lot of bleeps.
0: That guy. I was thinking about getting into television, but I just do not enjoy spending my entire day to craft something that lasts four or five minutes. I'd rather sit for three or four hours and discuss things more expansively. I think it's more fun. For sure. That's just my preference. Now, I respect the work of those in television, but I was very much on the fence, and that's what leaned me towards radio versus doing TV. Now, I do some TV stuff on the side. I'm just not really good at it.
1: There are benefits to both sides. You've worked in television. I feel like television is... A lot more time oriented we have a lot more time to figure our stuff out because it's kind of go with the flow tv is more regimented we have to have things in by this time deadline and and if you if you're cool with deadlines tv is great if you're not so cool with deadlines maybe not so much
0: let's get an update on what's happening at the northern trust right now as dustin johnson that's been the top 10 list if you have anything else that you would like to submit on twitter at sports i'm trying I know, Robert, you have a couple of things to potentially add as well. Did any of your guesses make it in there?
1: Uh, Bull, bull, weevil.
0: Hey, Hey! Made the cut.
2: Josh Graham has his finger on the triad sports pulse. So wash your wrist when he's finished. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham.
0: got some breaking NBA news into our studios. An update on two Portland Trailblazers. According to multiple reports, Damian Lillard is set to play tomorrow night in game three, a series tied one game apiece between LA and Portland. Chris Haynes just reported though that Zach Collins who was injured during the year before coming back into the bubble along with Yusef Nurkic. He suffered a hairline medical malus stress fracture. I probably nailed that pronunciation. Can't you tell I'm a doctor on the radio? He, uh, It's a fracture in his left ankle. He's going to miss the remainder of the season. It's a pretty big blow for Portland. And before the series, my message was this. The Lakers, they haven't been playing playoff basketball since arriving in the bubble. Portland has, and they were firing on all cylinders against the Memphis Grizzlies to get in, and to a degree, the Brooklyn Nets right before that. They were red hot. The Lakers, they didn't look like themselves in game one. I thought there was going to be a Dame-lower performance. Portland was going to win an early game, but the Lakers are going to win this series in five. But I'll present this to Brian Geisinger to get us off and running from League Pass Layer, also ACCSports.com. If I give you these two options, this series going seven games or the Lakers winning in five, which do you believe to be the more plausible scenario?
2: Uh, Lakers in five, uh, for sure. That That's like, if you had asked me before the series started, I would have said, you know, Lakers in like four and a half games. Uh, I would have thought, you know, maybe Lillard, shoots Portland into one victory. But, like, it, just defensively, I didn't think the Blazers were up for the task of um, of, of defending the Lakers. And, and actually, you know, L.A.'s offense hasn't been, like, amazing throughout the first two games, to say the least. Better, certainly, in game two. But, um, and then obviously, Portland, when they have a power out, it's like that. Offensively, and, you know, Dame struggles, and, and Nurkic can't make enough p- plays on the short roll. Um, yeah, I think they're just, Portland needs to sort of make some adjustments with the pick and roll, but they're also like down some bodies too. Losing Zach Collins, who hasn't played great, um, but he's still like a he's still a piece, and he's an athletic big for them that they can use in, in a variety of different ways defensively. So, yeah, no, I would just say Portland out of gas, too banged up, and going up against LeBron and AB. Yeah, I would I would think the Lakers could. I, they're more likely to take the next three straight. I would say.
0: Follow him on Twitter at bguys underscore bird. He's a triad guy. Did some color commentary for High Point this past season. And on top of that, great ACC sports analysis, NBA as well. There are a few guys that know more about hoops than BG does in my world. I'm not a James Wiseman fan. The Hornets, they're picking number three. I wouldn't go as far to say that he's not a top ten pick. I, I wouldn't want Charlotte to pick him. But you would go as far to say in terms of what you've seen from Wiseman, which isn't a lot because he bailed on Memphis early on, you don't think he's really a lottery pick. What's your biggest hang up with James Wiseman? Yeah,
2: and, and look, like I understand why, why Wiseman he oozes potential because he's seven one with the with a seven six wingspan. He can jump and in a straight line, man, he can really run. Um, but his positioning and his awareness defensively is a problem. Um, he needs to get a lot better. I'm not sure if defensively, it, right now, I don't know if he's a guy that's on pace to be able to play, like, leverage minutes in the postseason. We're, we're seeing all these teams in the playoffs right now, and some of these centers really struggle, and they can either get played off the floor or their teams just get lit up offensively. Um, you know, maybe James Wiseman adds a jump shot and, and is able to stretch it out to the three point line at, at some point. Um, I don't think there's really, right now, like a post element to his game. So, what's he giving you offensively is the, it's is still valuable, which is the screen roll game. And this is why I still like Wiseman and why I think he'll be a starter in the NBA for a long time because he offers this, at a bare minimum, he offers a discrete set of skills as far as rim running and rim protection that we know are useful. There are just more cost-effective and value-driven ways to acquire those. Whether it be later in picking those guys, guys later in the first round, which is where I have you know sort of Wiseman in the middle of the pack, where I have him scored, Um, or in free agency or in the second round pick. There are just there are there are easier ways to do that than as opposed to investing a top five pick. And look, if Wiseman adds tools offensively, if he becomes a you know. Uh, a post player that can pass and he can stretch it out to the three point line. you mix that with his his frame and his size. Then we're having a different conversation, and then you know me grading him as you know like the sixteenth best prospect, the seventeenth yeah. best prospect. I'll look really dumb, but for right now, this is based off what I've seen. this is where I have him.
0: but you know there's a big difference between what you would like to see happen and what. Say Mitch Kupchak is thinking what the Hornets will ultimately do at number three. I want you to react to this answer from Mitch because I thought it was very interesting. He was asked by I think Rick Bunnell with the Charlotte Observer about his um, his viewpoint on best player available versus picking somebody just for need and what's been called a needs-driven draft. This was Kupchak's response. I don't
2: think our team is at the stage of development where we could you know, say, hey, let's, we need a big, or we need a guard, or we need a wing, and we pass on maybe better talent uh, to fill a position. Okay? We're not at that stage right now. We, we need to add talent uh, to this team no matter what position it is. And if we have duplication, then great, we'll figure it out.
0: So he seems to be for best player available, and he even noted at a different point, they're not going to be able in all likelihood to bring guys in. So a lot of this is going to be graded on the tape and graded on Zoom conversations that they have with these players. Hearing that answer, if you're just talking about best player available, and the fact they're not going to be able to work out, guys. How do you narrow down your list of players the Hornets potentially might pick at number three?
2: Yeah, and, and look, Mitch Mitch nails it. I mean, that's exactly what you want. You know, your executive saying heading into the draft, like we're going to be smart. We're going to take the best player available. Like that's this is absolutely the mode. Charlotte needs to be in. He, he nailed it, and they went into the draft in 2019 with the same exact approach. Different circumstance, obviously, no pandemic going on, but they went into the, that draft with the same approach, and they had a great draft. PJ Washington, great pick. Cody Martin, great pick. McDaniel's, great pick as well too. Like they just they nailed all of those. Um, and so, yeah, you got to you got to. It's interesting because you can't now the way things are. You can't fall in love with just a, an individual workout, or with something that you see at the combine, or with a you know a run in March Madness, or that you get swept up in. You got to do it off the stuff that a dork like I'm using at home too, which is like watching a lot of games on Synergy and looking at numbers on Synergy too. Um, and you've got you've got a lot of people, scouts, operations people, analytics people that work for you, and hopefully everyone is is, is huddled up and. and you know putting all their knowledge together and watching literally as much as they can talking about stuff and, and checking out the numbers and, and projecting out because ultimately they've got a blank canvas to work with, um, which is nice, but there's also a lot of pressure to start you know putting some paint on the canvas as well too so I, uh, I I agree with Mitch that they shouldn't be narrowing down to a certain position. You look best player available, and the way I'm thinking about this for Charlotte too is this. This is a top-three pick that they lucked into this season. It's maybe not the draft that you want that in. But you roll with it, and then you go into next season thinking, hey, we may have a top-three top, tw- top three pick again in 2021, and what's supposed to be an excellent draft. And now all of a sudden you're saying, well, we got, we got P.J. Washington and maybe Miles Bridges or Malik Monk, Pop. We've got Devontae Graham. We just drafted, you know, Bunyeka Okonwu or James Wiseman or Killian Hayes or remember Anthony Edwards for the number-three pick. And now we're going to go into – we're thinking twenty twenty one we're gonna get another top four pick. And then all of a sudden we really start to stack some of that elite talent on top of one another and that's how we build going forward. Plus, they're gonna have more cap space than basically any team in the league in twenty twenty one. And they're taking that same approach into free agency too, of like we don't need to just spend all this on, you know, signing, you know, a B minus player to a max deal. We can use this to facilitate and add draft capital and add at young assets. In, in cheap assets to the roster. So, again, I think the approach is solid from uh, the front office here.
0: While I got you here, I want to ask you an ACC basketball thing because there's something that stood out to me. You're seeing already some of these preseason polls come up. Uh, I think Gary Parrish mm-hmm. had one because now we know who's coming back and who uh, had their name in the draft, kept their name in the draft. And I'm seeing Duke and Virginia pretty universally as – the two ACC teams in the preseason top 10. Then I see this report Mm -hmm. that Brendan Marks had for The Athletic that Matthew Hurt has picked up 21 pounds this offseason, going from 214 to 235. He already picked up some big rebounds. The Florida State game late, he had that, that bucket on a putback or got to the free throw line and hit some important foul shots but he was always really skinny, Yeah, incredibly lanky, um, Matthew Hurt. How much differently do you feel about what Duke is capable of, seeing that Matthew Hurt has really shored up his frame, it seems like?
2: It's massive. It's big for Duke next season. It's big for Matthew Hurt as he projects this. He's going to try to work into being a first-round pick in in 2021, too. Uh, Matthew Hurt is one of the best offensive weapons in the ACC, full stop. He just is. Uh, he's, he was an elite shooter from basically every level of the court last season. One of the most efficient post players in the conference. So all of a sudden, now you're adding more muscle to that. That's perfect. He needs that to score around the, on the elbows and on the block. Like, that's going to be a big a big boon for him, too. And as someone that's such an elite spot-up shooter, a pick-and-pop shooter, a guy that's going to force a lot of closeouts as well, too, well, he needs that extra muscle to go in there. Once he drives a closeout on a little catch-and-go, to be able to finish through contact at the rim, that's something that he struggled with a little bit last season. Even, even sometimes when he made shots, you'd see him still get knocked to the floor or whatever. And as far as his defense goes, like this is going to help him. He needed to get stronger in his lower body so he could bang in the post a little bit more, establish position better, defend that. You know, you add in, he's pretty lanky already so he can block a shot or two. You add some muscle and you shape up in terms of your awareness and pick and roll health defense. And all of a sudden, Like, you got the makings of of an interesting two-way player that can be special offensively. And as far as Duke goes, too, I think for this team to get their five best players on the court next season, you're going to need to see Matthew Hurt play some center. And 20 extra pounds of weight will certainly help with that as well, too. And I think if Duke can play Hurt at five as much as possible, they've got some good centers on the roster, newcomers, no doubt. But they can really open the floor and just overwhelm teams with NBA talent, especially if they can move Hurt to the 5 and use that to get guys like Henry Coleman and Jamie Brakefield on the court more at the power forward spot.
0: BG, appreciate the analysis as always. Enjoy the NBA basketball over the weekend, and uh, we'll catch up sometime soon. Sounds good. Talk to you. There you go. He's on Twitter at bguys__bird. Follow him there for the all-encompassing ACC and NBA basketball analysis